Hello and welcome to Ringer FC, uh, Ringer Soccer Podcast, where we talk about everything other than Liverpool <laughs> FC. I'm joined by Micah Peters. What's going on? And Donnie Kwok, who's taken a step back from searching for pirated footage of Jack Wilshire's coaching training uh, to come join us. What's up, Donnie? What's up, boys? I've been waiting for like a week to hear updates on like the USA U13s or U11s. (laughs) (laughs) Since I saw the U17s crapped out, you know, I'm sure you guys have other youth levels to update us on. Yeah, uh, the U10s went undefeated at the U10 World Cup. (laughs) Yeah, go for it, baby. Bill's son, Ben, actually plays for them. Um, He's the next Messi. He just has a nose for goal, you know? (laughs) It's it's fairly impressive. Um, Today, we're going to do some overreactions, some zonal question marks, as always. And then we will bring on the disgraced former host of this podcast, Chris Ryan, to discuss... Some other disgraceful his, actions from well, managers across the Premier League. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll get him to explain his Instagram post of him rubbing his chin pensively and staring <laughs> into the middle distance out onto the pitch <laughs> as his team crumbles at halftime. Um, before we do that, though, some quick news hits. First piece of news. Your next USMNT manager is Dave Sarakin. What do you think, Micah? Who? Exactly. Dave Sarakin uh, will be managing the U.S. against Portugal. He's a Bruce Arena assistant. Um, There's nothing else to be said. Um, (laughs) The Dave Sarakin era will likely be one game long. What if they win like 5-0, though? If they beat Portugal 5-0, then, you know, I'm I'm all for Dave Sarakin. Just (laughs) just Uh, give him the reins after that. That that would be like the worst thing that could happen. I always feel like that in the (laughs) Premier League when like the interim manager comes in and the team does well for two games and they're like, they convince themselves that, okay, this this guy's hit even though he has no experience doing this job. Um, So if you're a true USMNT fan, uh, you're going to be rooting for Portugal uh, when these teams play next. Um, second bit of news. Yesterday were the FIFA Best Awards, and the B is capitalized in Best. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo won World Player of the Year. See <laughs> The person who handed him the award, um, none other than Diego Maradona, was quoted as saying... <laughs> Quote, to give the best award to Ronaldo and not be able to give it to Messi hurt my soul. I'm going to call bullshit on that. What do you guys think? <laughs> oh, we just can't keep it together. It's, it's amazing. He's, I was very surprised to see him at the Tottenham-Liverpool game this weekend. I don't know if you guys caught that. I saw the, I saw the photos of him in the, in, the, in the dressing room after the game. Him just like walking up to Harry Kane like... Like he did it. Yeah, like, he's like, the one that made <laughs> Harry Kane who he is. Yeah. Well, he, he and Pochettino, right, are a former teammates, so I mean there's a connection there. Yeah, there there's, was a photo going around of them like both shirtless. Um, I just think... I don't think Maradona likes seeing Messi shine. I think in the past he sort of said that, so I think this this is sort of bullshit. I mean, yeah, I, I would I would agree that it's probably bullshit. I mean, like, why would you want to? I wouldn't be. I think that the whole passing of the torch thing is like really nobody really feels great about that. No, I mean, isn't isn't the real story here that Ronaldo definitely deserves the award? Well, yeah, I mean, like... Indis- indisputably, I, I mean, his... I mean, Real Madrid won 
the double La Liga and Champions League last year. They're two-time European winners. He's scoring a hat trick every other game despite being 32 and having like 800 games of soccer on his legs. Yeah, and I think he he almost lapped the field in goals in the Champions League last year, um, which is insane. Um, and the European Championship as well, right? I, I mean, mean, like, it's not fair that he just keeps reinventing himself over and over and becoming more and more efficient. Yeah, it's... the. I think the narrative was there with Madrid winning everything, but I think Ronaldo's performance also sort of sort of deserved it. Um, I think you're right, Donnie, but now we're letting Maradona um, make himself the story. So we're, we're all failing at our job. Um, third bit of news. In a shocking turn of events, Ryan Giggs says that he wants the Everton and the Leicester jobs. Can he manage both teams at once? I mean, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he should take one and Skulls should take the other. <laughs> Where is Skulls? Where is it? What is he doing these he's, days? Uh, he's Skulls an announcer up, or a commentator. He was up for or he his name was in contention. I think for the Oldham job. Oh, after, Oldham Athletic. Ap, yeah, after Seedorf was flirting with them and backed out. So mm. that's that's where Skulls is going wrong. Giggs is at least putting himself in contention for bigger jobs, even though he's not going to get any of them. <laughs> so at least we talk about him. I think well, I, Phil I Neville. Wasn't he in line to try to, to manage like Swansea after he so was this, I wanted to say this. He it was Swansea, it seemed like it was between him and Bob Bradley last year. And Rory Smith wrote this piece about Bob Bradley getting hired for the New York Times. And I'll just read the quote. So the, the club's American proprietor, Steve Kaplan and Jason Levian, were particularly unconvinced by the job contender who could offer only the platitude that to come out of a slump that has taken the club to 17th in the Premier League standings, Swansea's players simply needed to work harder and to run more. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of subtext here that suggests that candidate was Ryan Giggs. <laughs> it's like that that uh, that movie that, um, what was it? It was... Mark Wahlberg's movie about the Boston Marathon where he's just like a beat cop and he's just like, I've been working as a cop for 20 years and <laughs> the thing that solves cases is witnesses. And it's just like, that's okay. So basically the sky is blue and water is still wet is yep. what you're saying. Yep, exactly. Um, so if you want, if your team's not running enough, um, hire Ryan Giggs. So, See, the, uh, the, la- the latest odds have him, I think, at 25 to 1. For Everton and Phil Neville at thirty-three to one. So I saw Phil, Phil Neville uh, threw his name in the hat. Yeah, who's number? Who's the top of the odds? Sean Dyche, two to one, of course, and Thomas Tuchel seven to two odds. It looks like. I feel like Giggs is a better chance than Tuchel of taking the Everton <laughs> job. <laughs> uh, Dyche. Okay, we'll, we'll, we might get into that later. Let's get into some massive overreactions from. Arguably the worst weekend in Premier League history, I would say. <laughs> People are saying. Um, first one, The Snowman is a movie about Harry Kane. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's actually, The Snowman is a movie about Harry Hole, which I just, which is not the way that it's pronounced, but I'm going to choose to pronounce it that way because it's so much funnier. Um, let's see. Uh Tottenham winning four, what was it, 4-1? Four, 4-3. Four, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I feel like you should have to recap this game. All right, so this is what happened. Uh, Liverpool played Tottenham. Liverpool is typically dominant against the best teams in the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, you can't see it right now, but I'm laughing with my legs. And uh, 
<laughs> Liverpool proceeded to give up two goals in the first 25, 30 minutes um, away to one of the best teams in the Premier League. And on both of those goals, Dayon Lovren just sort of either over-eagerly ran to head a ball and just let it go by him or just sort of stood and watched as the ball, like, just flew over the top of his head and clipped his hair. I think I've watched that first goal, like, several times, and I still can't figure out what he thought he was doing. I mean... Victor Lindelof actually did the same thing against Huddersfield Town on the second goal, but it's, it's not a good. I mean, like he was he, like at least Lindelof seemed as though he was trying to flick it to to Chris Smalling or maybe let it skip off the top of his head to De Gea. Dale Lovren just let the that that uh, lofted ball just go over. I mean, there's he, no way if you're looking at where it is. He's on the corner of the 18 that. I mean, he could have expected uh, Mignolet to come out and claim that. It's like he, it's, it was like he uh, didn't understand the offside rule and thought that if anyone received the pass behind him, they were automatically offside. So if the ball went over his head, he just didn't have to react to it. But anyway, that was him and Joel Maddup. Joel Maddup, Mignolet, Joe Gomez was on the line and was standing on the post rather than the middle of the goal, which I I thought was an interesting it's all approach. Bad, is the um, gist. Anyway, Liverpool. <laughs> A lot of self-inflicted mistakes, but within those self-inflicted mistakes was Tottenham sort of just these cold-blooded, efficient, just frightening, snowman-esque attacks <laughs> every time so Liverpool right. made a mistake. Liverpool almost got back into the game. Um, Mohamed Salah scored on a counterattack, um, and then Liverpool obviously conceded a goal from a set piece right before halftime. And then second half, Tottenham scored again. Uh, Harry Kane had two goals. And an assist. Um, we'll get into some Liverpool stuff. I mean, never again. We're never going to talk <laughs> about that again. But uh, now Harry Kane um, leading the Premier League in goals with eight, and only trailing Lionel Messi uh, in goal among all in players, uh, club and country goal scored in 2017. I don't know if you guys saw this, but speaking of the FIFA awards that you were referring to earlier, the FIFA Best Awards. When they were announcing the Puskas Award, which we're going to talk about later, uh, there was like a roving uh, commentator in the aisles that was interviewing players, and she was interviewing Harry Kane, and she was saying, maybe you can be on this next year or something, and he said, quote, I normally score tap-ins inside the box, so maybe I won't be on this list. But she was kind of like making fun of the fact, I think, that people tend to think he's just scoring tap-ins inside the box. And in reality, as you're saying, Ryan, he's such a complete player now that he literally can do anything, you know? Yeah, there's... Even if he's not scoring spectacular goals, it's like there's so many moments in this game and every game where Harry Kane gets the ball, like someone shoot like rockets a pass at his feet and there are three guys on them. He deadens it and then he turns and like moves the ball up the field 30 yards and then dishes it off to a teammate and then it leads to a goal somewhere else. It's, the pass, the pass to Sonny was amazing. Too. Yeah, it was. it was perfect. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I don't know, you think of poachers like, I don't know, Inzaghi is obviously the, only, the one who always comes to mind to me and he's a poacher because that's just what he does. He gets 
grabs rebounds, always knows when to make a run, was born offside, as Alex Ferguson <laughs> said. But that's all he did. Harry Kane might, he has a lot of, I guess, the poacher instincts and always knows what spots to be in. But he has all of this other stuff he adds in his game, which I think is kind of incredible. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, he just has old man game already. And he's yeah. tw- he's 24. He's 24. He's two years <laughs> younger than me, and there's not enough Xanax in the tri-state area to make me feel better about that. But, um, I mean, the way that he finds space and then the things that he does with it, the way that he picks out the corners of the goal when he's, I mean, like his finishing is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I think that we were talking a, a little bit uh, the other day about whether or not he's going to break Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record in the Premier League, and I mean, like, Maybe. I yeah. mean, he'll get close, I think, barring and, some sort of move to Real Madrid. Him and Wilshire together in Russia <laughs> for England oh is going to be a sight God. to behold. Donnie, what do you feel about, uh, like, Wilshire's buzz cut? It's because I, I find it, like, very serial killer-ish. Uh, well, I would say in the sense of defense being the best offense. I think if you look closely, there might be a little bit of thinning on the crown. So (laughs) (laughs) very uh, downward hairline. (laughs) Very interesting. I don't think we talk about this enough. Harry Kane's hairstyles sort of, you don't see that kind of hair on a, you know, guy who's not 65 years old. I mean, I he's like. definitely got the, the 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 haircut that you can set your watch to. It's like it's also <laughs> that like immediately the the subdued fist pump celebration. I yeah. laugh every time I see it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, I think sort of the overarching thing from this game is that Liverpool played the worst possible game you could play against a team that has Harry Kane. <laughs> Um, so on that somber note, I think we should move on before I start crying. Um, (laughs) second overreaction is, this is just the truth. It's not an overreaction. David Wagner, Huddersfield manager is a better version of Jose Mourinho than Jose Mourinho. Explain yourself. I mean, are are you going to make me say it? (laughs) Let's hear it. Okay. You just did it to me. That's very true. Uh, (sighs) <sighs> okay, so Manchester United went to Huddersfield Town over the weekend and basically dissociated in front of my eyes. It was They <laughs> lost 2-1 to one to Huddersfield Town uh, off of two mistakes, but it also just felt like they didn't want to be there and Huddersfield was up for it. There was, I want to say it was like 10 or 11 minutes into the game, uh, Anthony Martial, who'd been going at it with uh, Tommy Smith, their captain, like they just butt, they were like they were butting heads. They had a and and then Martial disappeared after the game after that. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like <laughs> after the game, and Herrera was talking about how the players didn't play with any passion, and Jose Mourinho seized on that, and as did Ryan Giggs, uh, who said <laughs> that. Which was a fair point because if you're saying that the team lacks passion, you're not really talking about yourself. You're yeah. talking about everybody else. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Huddersfield took just five shots. They scored two of them. Only gave up nine on the other end. I mean, Manchester United was really going for it at times, sending as many as one player into attack. It was. It's just like they didn't want to. They didn't want to take it to. It's another week where they just didn't want to take it to whoever it was. It's just. I. It's depressing. What about Aaron Moy? 
what a what about Aaron Boy, man? What a wanna, performance. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was it was an amazing performance, actually, from Aaron Moy. Former um, man, former Manchester City product. Yeah. Taking it. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know if you got a chance to catch a Premier League down low where they're interviewing David Wagner, and they were just talking about how fit Huddersfield Town is, and they mm-hmm. were. I mean, they were getting everybody was playing box to box, it felt like. Yep. I think the thing for me with this game, we talk about this sometimes, is that you know, you bigger teams lose to smaller teams. It happens. That's what makes the sport incredible. But I I think Huddersfield like legitimately outplayed Manchester United. Le- um, yes. created the better chances and sort of suffocated Manchester United's attack. And I think the thing with you know, we talked about this again last week a little bit. There's a difference between like bunkering in and getting lucky on one chance and like just saving a bunch of shots, which is what I think kind of the man you approach was last week. And this week Huddersfield bunkers in and basically man, you can't create anything and Huddersfield the couple times they attack, they actually are creating good chances. And that, that's that approach is sort of the thing that made everyone made Jose Mourinho, the sort of world-class manager that everyone thinks that he is, right? Yeah. But Hudders- had, Huddersfield did that to them. I mean, like, yeah, they regularly were in transition or managed to get all 11 players behind the ball. And it would be long stretches, or it felt like long stretches. It was probably more like they were, you know, they conceded possession, and it would just be Modic looking up the field, not seeing anything, playing it out wide, they play it back in, they swing it back and forth across the field and never make any forward progress. And as soon as they do, they give it up. Huddersfield counterattacks. Yeah. So are you uh, are you coming around on uh, the over-exuberance of David Wagner, Donnie? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely merited in this case. I mean, to, to, to get three points off of United is a big deal. But 65 you know, I- years. That's how long he's um, been. That's... I was really, really after uh, Lukaku sent that sweet cross in. I guess Rashford made it two to one. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. it was like in the seventieth minute or so. I thought a hundred percent for sure that they were going to equalize United. So, and they almost did. So, I mean, yeah. Huddersfield just barely hung on. I guess if it was Ferguson, it would be Fergie time, and United would have, you know, gotten the ninety-sixth minute equalizer. Mm-hmm. But credit to Huddersfield. But you know, it was it it, it was. It wasn't like a dominant performance. I mean, it was it was like a hard earned to the last second um, win for them. So yeah, I mean, and like to just to bring this back down to earth for a second, the United was playing for their tenth clean sheet in a row in the Premier League, like, and it would have been their best start ever, mm-hmm. like in their entire history, had they won this game and kept a clean sheet. But they didn't keep a clean. But sheet. they didn't. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing that I found interesting about this is what Mourinho said after the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, we deserved it. The team that wanted it more, the team that wanted to work more, the team that wanted to be more aggressive won. So when the best team wins, there's nothing to say. I don't know if I've ever heard Mourinho react like that after a game. Did you I mean, like, did you just look at him like on the, just on the sideline? Just looked like he was like he hadn't the, shaved, yeah. you know. He looks, looked like he was like hung over on the Staten Island ferry. Yeah, he, he just looks like <laughs> outside he, that morning. Cold. He he went into the to the mini fridge in the hotel to to get some whiskey to put in his coffee. It's just like <laughs> he just looks sad. 
I, the other thing I think worth pointing out, um, I think it's to me it's become clear over the past two games, um, just how big of a role Pogba plays on this team that I think is maybe easy to not notice um, when he's on the field. <laughs> Paul Pogba, if you're listening to this, come on home. We're worried sick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he creates those moments, you know. I mean, as much as I don't like Pogba that much, you know, I mean, you can't deny that he can create out of nothing. So that's what they need in games like this. Yeah, he, he can create out of nothing. He gets a shot from 20 yards out. It's the equivalent of someone else having the ball like on the penalty spot, I think. <laughs> and he also, the other thing, like Manu's whole thing is creating like transitional moments, right? When they win the ball back and then attacking directly toward goal. And he's the guy that basically does that for him, for them. Right, that one quick turn and that cutting pass. Yeah, and exactly. And I think Herrera and Matic are both pretty good players in their own right, but they just that's just not what they do. Wait, when is Pogba coming back? I'm going to say it's... Uh, I feel like once every week it's either his injury is worse than feared and then it's his injury is not, not as bad, bad as feared. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's, you know, like there's Instagram footage of him listening to whatever while doing knee raises. Yeah, it's it's concerning, I think, a little bit that there hasn't been any sort of concrete yeah. um, <clears throat> timetable put on this. Uh, it'd be a bummer if he didn't come back. He's He's fun to watch and just... The, the league is better with him playing. Um, speaking of people, the league is better with. Can't believe I'm saying this, but the third overreaction of the Premier League weekend is arson in. in? <laughs> <laughs> Donnie, I just want your pure, unadulterated thoughts about this 5-2 win over, over Everton over the weekend. Well... It started poorly. I mean, it started well, I should say, because... All, all, <laughs> all, Look at your default setting. It's just like, I, uh, everything is terrible. No, because, because from the gut, from the get-go, Arsenal were dominant, and uh, Rooney had like a sucker punch against the run of play uh, to put Everton up and the fans up. And for a moment there, I was thinking, this could save Coleman's job, and this could be the turnaround, the turning point for Everton's season. But uh, Arsenal just dominated after that. I mean, they were dominant in the beginning. Rooney had his goal. And then it was the Alexis Ozil-Lacazette trident. This was the first time, actually, we've seen that all season. I mean, due to injuries and, and, and Alexis contract stuff and all of this. But that AOL lineup was, they, they didn't have an answer. <laughs> AOL. <laughs> The yeah, thing I, like, I see how you tried to slide that in there. I like <laughs> that the, AOL. All, all of the. Like, Anytime I say that, can we get like a little uh, modem sound? That <laughs> <AOL>? <laughs> um, you got mail. All of the the trio names are like old internet companies. MSN. Oh. BBC. <laughs> AOL. In- interesting. Netscape. Interesting. Uh, I've also I've also seen something with because they all have Z's in their name, like uh, some Z stuff. But anyway, <laughs> some Z some stuff, Z stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like triple Z or something. But no, but in all fairness, like it, it did feel like Jordan Pickford was playing like one on 11 for yeah, I mean, 
I've seen somebody say, uh, I don't remember where, who said it or where I read it, but that it was Mesut Ozil's best game in an Arsenal shirt, which in some ways is kind of alarming that this is his fifth season and it was just like a nothing game against Everton that's, you know, in the relegation zone. But credit where credit's due, he had an amazing game. I mean, not only was he creating chances, which he usually does, but the industry, you know, like the running and like he fucking scored on a header. Like a, a, I mean, a, a, a real header. Like, that's, I, I, that's I, like I was thinking that he was coming so slowly and so deliberately across the box that maybe like Phil Jagielka just thought he was standing in place. That yeah, is, I mean, it, it was his. It wasn't like a sunny sprint. It was like the Mesut Ozil version <laughs> of a sprint, which was kind of like a light to medium jog. Scored but, a header, got <laughs> assist. Hell hath no fury like an interested Ozil. Except I mean, for the he, fact that, like, he was also giving, like, ample time and space. Well, that's that what I was going to say. Like, to be fair, he had an amazing <laughs> game. Like, even the worst or, or the harshest Mesut critic couldn't criticize that game. But, you know, this was... I've seen all of Arsenal's games this year. This was definitely the worst team they played. And for a third of the game, they were a man down. So it was perfect. It was, like, the perfect opportunity for Mesut to shine. Worse you know, than the, uh, Cologne? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Everton are bad. We're bad. Very bad. The the thing I would say though, like Ozil, his whole thing is creating for his teammates. So Ozil will look better once all of his best teammates are on the field with him. When he's not setting up Danny Welbeck and Alex Awobi, is... uh, when he's setting up Sanchez <laughs> and Lacazette, and then those guys are creating space for his teammates. I think it's almost it just like makes Ozil look better. Shockingly. It's almost like playing your best players at the same time as a sound strategy. It's, it's it's true, it's true. But then it's then it's the argument is when without the ball. So I think for, uh, for Arsenal fans in November, there's they got a match at the Etihad and then Spurs. So it's like those are the types of matches where we'll really see if 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 Ozil is part of Arsenal's best eleven against strong competition. Are you? I mean, Arsenal's. In fourth or in fifth, only on goal differential. Um, is this? Did we completely overreact to what was going on with this team? I think we do. We did. I mean, but it's just par for the course, you know. I mean, it's it's crazy. I don't think Arsenal have a real realistic shot of winning the league. But so for you know teams that do feel like they can win the league, nine games is actually you know if you fall behind too much and then your chances are screwed. But it's only nine games into the season, and I think after nine games, if you were to kind of take the collective temperature of Arsenal fans right now, I think everyone's pretty okay. I mean, they've won every game in the group stage of the Europa League so far. Without and playing really any, like, without wearing any of their important players out either in the yeah. Europa League, which seems important. Yeah, and I think in the league, you know, outside of outside of Anfield, I think it's, it's you know, the Watford game wasn't great, but, you know, I think there is some hope now, especially seeing Ozil at his best, Alexis at his best now, and Lacazette. I think, actually, to be honest, they could be feeding Lacazette more, but I think to see that those three attackers performing at a high level, even against inferior competition, gives the fans hope of what might be, uh, you know, in the coming months. Yeah, I think... I think they have a very good shot at finishing top four um, in a way that I didn't think a couple weeks ago. But at the end of the day, the guys that they're relying on to get them top four 
their contracts are running out at the end of the season. <laughs> so it's still, there's still that hanging over everything. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with some zonal question marks. That was late from Gaze in trouble here. He's off. All right, we're back and uh, we have an unexpected guest for the second segment. Yeah. A halftime substitute. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Lovren's coming off. Come <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> out. <laughs> um, we're joined by Chris Ryan. Um, great to have you back. Thanks, man. It's great to be back. Yeah. Live for a podcast. <laughs> um, we're going to start with this question. What was your favorite memory of the Ronald Koeman era at Everton? <laughs> Anyone can take it. I love I love the halftime substitutions. I know I made the joke just now, but yeah. I kind of burned it. But uh, <laughs> it's it's like you should actually only be allowed to do that twice a year, and I think he did it like nine times or something insane. Yeah, and uh, I I love that the halftime substitution is such a brutal self own. Like, <laughs> I just completely got this wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to stop the bleeding. It's such, it's so bad. So I think I think that was it. And you know, I was I was kind of for a while. I was like, what if this is like an inefficiency that he's exploiting? Like, what if more managers should sub after <laughs> yeah. forty five or thirty? Just like, no, 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 no. Uh, but I think that we have been shown that uh, that this was that this was a, a mistake on his part. Um, I was going to say the, it's, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a favorite memory, but the entire Omar Nyasi saga (laughs) was absolutely, you know what? I'm glad COVID's gone because I'd, I'd forgotten about that until somebody tweeted out this video this morning, um, where he made him like, he was just like, I don't want you train with the U21s. You can't eat with us. Like you're not going to have a locker. You're not going to have a locker with the U21s either. It was just like, that's, I mean, the disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he's like, Umar Niasi is like the player that Everton has needed this needed. entire season. Like a guy who can run faster than like a. Than Wayne Rooney. Yeah. yeah. Faster than he Wayne was Rooney. He that pulled back. Like he, you know, it was, a, it was a garbage time goal in the 5-2 loss. But I mean, like at least he pulled another goal back. Yeah, I, w- I was going to vote for his Instagram page. I don't know if you guys seen yeah. it, but also, why it, does he have an Instagram page that he's I don't know. updating? <laughs> that, that's... It's hilariously sad because if you just look at it in like the grid form, it's just a series of pictures of him looking either very aggrieved or forlorn or both. And then you click on a picture and it's like, fuck you, get out of our club. You suck. Fuck off. Who got the? Uh, like, you're out of here. Who got the red card? It was it gay? Who got the red card on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but- that dude definitely was like, if I get a red, I'm going to get Koeman fired, and I'm going yeah. for a red right now. Well, this was his caption for, uh, Ronald Koeman's caption for that, uh, the last game. It was, the start was okay, but it was impossible to get result after 1-2 down and the red card, so... Yeah. And it was a, a picture of him looking like. Well, it's kind of unfortunate that Gay was playing by himself in the midfield. Yeah. Uh, they they actually say when you go back and watch the highlights, like when that red card happens, like the announcers like that might be it for Koeman. Yeah. Turns out they were right. My my favorite moment was uh, this past summer where he preemptively pulled his name out of the running for the Barcelona job <laughs> and uh, said he had work to do at Everton. Yeah. Um, 
Oh my god. <laughs> Which yeah, I just I was really I love it when I uh, want to start preemptively pulling my name out of jobs. <laughs> I just want to let it be known that I will not be replacing Patrick Radden Keefe at the New Yorker as an investigative <laughs> reporter. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna be the next Van Talk host. <laughs> um all right, second question. I think this one is directly at Micah. How mad are you that Olivier Giroud just won the Pushkas Goal of the Year award? You mean with his scorpion kick that was not as good as Henrik Mkhitaryan's? <laughs> I think it's some bullshit, frankly. frankly Ex- you know? Explain. Because it was, I mean, like, you it's, you are the one that said this earlier, is that I, we need to stop conflating complete accidents with greatness. <laughs> yeah. How was that an accident, though? Well, first of all, let me read off the FIFA website the, the criteria for the goal, for the Pushkas Award, okay? It's, quote, I'm reading directly from the website, an aesthetically beautiful goal awarded without distinction of championship gender or nationality, scored without the result of luck or a mistake, and in support of fair play. I think you explained it without the result of luck. Thomas <laughs> Jefferson? What is that? What does fair play have to do with but, it? I think it's like also that, you know, even, even the FIFA. celebration after the goal, he pointed at the wrong he slid in the wrong direction. He couldn't figure out where the camera was. So that was like that would take Ronaldo uh, qualifying for the Euros a couple years ago where he like knocked Sweden out of the qualification in Sweden, scored a goal <laughs> and then turned to the Swedish fans and was like I own Sweden. Like, I guess that's not fair play. Yeah, and also uh, the fact that he then did the scorpion kick as a celebration the next week, yeah. that's some, come on. Okay, this is some side shit you guys are talking about. No, shit. But look, look <laughs> every, every goal has an element of luck to it, you know? I mean, when you hit a soccer ball, where it goes, I mean, it's partly skill, and then how it, if it finds its way into the net, there's luck involved, I think. These are some impressive logical gymnastics you're doing right now, <laughs> I don't know, look, did you watch all the nominees? I watch all the nominees. Honestly, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I thought Boateng's goal should have won the award. But here's my proposition to you guys. Maybe there should be a, del- like, supporting actor, an actor, or, you know, like, break the category down where it's, like, best individual effort. And then best team goal because there was a goal in the in the finalists the Dembele for uh, Celtic that was like the result of an eighty pass move and they showed the entire play. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So basically, make one like a Maradona award that's for individual goal. Yeah. yeah. And then you know like a like a Barcelona award that's for team goal. I like that. Yeah, because the Giroud goal actually was the sum of its parts too because it was a really great counterattack and it started on a Giroud back heel like you know so. I'm out. I'm out on this. <laughs> it was a bad cross, and he just stuck his heel out, and it deflected into the goal. Like, I mean, there was not much. I, he was trying to score, yes, but he wasn't trying to, like, aim it in any way. He stuck his heel out, which well, it looked cool. Most people were saying that the Masaluke, I guess, is the goalkeeper for Broke FC in South Africa. He's mm-hmm. the guy that did the overhead kick and the dying minutes to equalize. I think Ronaldo... Cristiano Ronaldo said that that's who he would have voted for. And <laughs> anytime a fucking goalkeeper scores in a bicycle kick, it should it automatically, should automatically win the award. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, moving on to the third question: Who has been the biggest bust in the Premier League this so far this season? Guys that have switched teams. Uh, who do fans? Who are whose jersey are fans burning already? <laughs> Um, well, that would be Victor Lindelof. And uh, by fans, you mean you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, moves from Benfica uh, for 31 million pounds over the summer uh, to help strengthen up the back line. The understanding was that he was good passing. Uh, 
being able to pick out forwards, skip the midfield, uh, but also, you know, very decent at marking and positioning. I, I, want, I want to not be too harsh since this is the most Premier League soccer he's played over the weekend, but those were two pretty awful mistakes. I mean, he got turned like a top by a... He got turned like a rookie by... Who was the... What was on the first Huddersfield goal? And then it rebounds off of De Gea. Aaron Moy finishes it off. And then the second goal, as we talked about before, just completely misjudges the header. <laughs> um and he wasn't great when he came on against uh, Real Madrid in the preseason either. Um, I mean, I want to not say it because it's very early, but at the same time, come the fuck on, man. <laughs> Do you have any advice for him? I mean, there's there's really not to— Don't let the ball drop. Yeah, don't <laughs> let the ball drop. Just instead of, instead of trying to flick it on a De Gea, just head it anywhere, literally anywhere, and it would have been better than that. Uh, we hope you're, you're hope you're listening, Victor Lindelof. Um, we hope Victor Lindelof's girlfriend's listening too, who's also uh, in the podcast space. Yeah, is she also really? just, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like you know, everybody <laughs> is say, it like a true crime podcast? Like what is it? I have no idea. It's like a, it's like American <laughs> Vandal, but in Sweden. I just <laughs> <laughs> like Donnie was saying that there were Manchester United fans in her comments on Instagram, and I went to look, and it just said podcaster, and I was just like, oh, okay, well. You know, I, that I didn't really That's pursue dope. it any further. Than I like that. that. Yeah, I like that. That's what your bio says. Yeah, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, Look, as far as busts go, I think Lindelof is a good, you know, is a good candidate. But he's only twenty three. I was gonna say Ox. He's also pretty young. I think the biggest bust <laughs> when you talk about busts to me, it's it's a combination of price age, and then that's related to resale value. So taking all of these into consideration, I think the biggest bust so far, Marco Arnautovic. Interesting. You better watch your neck. He's going to show up in the <laughs> studio and help you in the face. Budget's Latin. We've called him that before, but he's 28, and he was West Ham's record signing, 25 million pounds. That's just money that they fucking threw into the ocean because... <laughs> <laughs> They're never getting that back, and he's been terrible. And and Donnie, you know when that money flies into the ocean and it drifts towards the bottom of the sea? Do you know what it finds there? What's that? Everton's money. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> I was there early. I was like, you know what? I like what Everton's doing. They're getting all their business done early in the season. They're they're building from the back. They they're building British. They're going to give like fans like a. You know, in this post-Brexit world, uh, a, a, te- a team to identify with. And uh, it turns out that that was just like a complete waste of 150 million pounds. Yep. And that they bought three number 10s, none of whom can track back, and none of whom are particularly quick. And they all do the exact same thing, which is make like a couple of really good passes per game, oh, yeah. but all from the same zone. So now we're back to the same where should Wayne Rooney play thing yeah. again. Yep. They don't know what to do with Sigurdsson, who they talk about resale value. They will never make that money back. <laughs> they will yeah. never, ever make that money back unless they can convince Galatasaray no, or somebody. He's yeah. going to have a good World Cup. Shanghai SPG, baby. Buy him. <laughs> like, so? No, absolutely not. Been, they, I, like China, I would love to. I can't wait for the first player that China's like, yo, man, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> they're, like, they're like, how about 50 million for cigarettes? And they're just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out we can buy like eight Brazilians for that. So no. Uh, so yeah, I just, you know, it, obviously a lot is on Kuman, and we'll find out in the next couple 
couple of weeks whether or not uh, they'll get a new manager bounce and if this is just a matter of like if you and we'll talk a little bit more about managers in the next segment but whether or not like if they pony up the money and get somebody like Ancelotti to come in and just kind of like tell them like understand what players are supposed to play where which just seems like the baseline for management <laughs> yeah uh, that they could see some return on their investment but to go out and hire I think it's Steve Bush from uh, from Leicester who put together that Leicester team that won the Premier League and f- feel like, oh, you know, we have new ownership. We're, we're going to make a run at maybe top four here with what we've done and build wah, for the future. And it's like <laughs> now you're in the relegation zone and the rest of your season is going to be spent uh, clawing away for, for draws and, and points just to get out of the, get out of the bottom ten. Yeah. yeah I My biggest bust— I, it really hurts me to say this. It really, um, Renato Sanchez. He oh, just yeah. has looked terrible so He's far. He's looked pretty awful. Um, what do you think that's about? He, to me, I think he is the type of player that like you need to sort of build the system around him that like accounts for all of the running around and like mispositioning that he's going to do himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Swansea's like fighting a relegation fight, and they're probably not. Well, the one, they don't really have the players to account for Renato Sanchez, I yeah. don't think. Um, and two, it's like, he's on loan. Are they going to build their team around him? I know that there's a relationship between Paul Clement and, well, not anymore, because Ancelotti's gone, right. actually, at Bayern. Um, I just think we probably overhyped him a little too much, and I think he's he needs the right situation to succeed. We, we did, right? Um, <laughs> me and Chris, who yeah. wrote and edited a post about him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he could easily turn it around, I think, much like uh, Lindelof, because he's young and will probably get better with more experience. And but also he, the he, thing about Wales is it gets much nicer uh, in the winter. You know, <laughs> So if he was having adaptability problems in August... He's going to fucking love what, Swansea in January. Uh, adaptability problems is playing sun, in a full length. I think the sun's going to come back out in April, so, you know. Whatever. He still has that moment in that friendly against Ars- Arsenal in China over the summer. You He's going to be like Josh Hartnett in 30 days of night. <laughs> he'll, he'll link a few more of those together, and Victor Littleoff will finish his other sleeve of tattoos, and everything will be fine. Yeah, that's the, there's a trend here. Benfica products. Benfica <laughs> products. Can't hack it for the first nine nine games of the season. Um, speaking of people that just truly cannot hack it, fourth and final question: What would you guys have d- done if you were Dehan Lovren and you got subbed off after thirty minutes? Well, I, I I don't know that I would have gone as far as getting rid of my profile picture and every <laughs> mention of Liverpool off of my Instagram page. <laughs> Um, but I definitely would have been distraught. Maybe I'd move to a different, maybe just move to a different town, live under an assumed name, you know, but how about what, like walk straight into the dressing room. Don't people do that? Walk straight into the ocean. Yeah. They do the (laughs) the tunnel walk. Well, because on the game, the announcer during the game, the announcer's like, is he hurt? Is he just shit? Like what's going on? And sort of, they were sort of trying to figure out what was happening and they didn't decide that he wasn't hurt until he didn't walk into the locker room. So maybe like future examples of this, just so people think you're hurt, just walk straight into the locker room. Yeah, yeah. I guess my answer to this question is I would uh, graduate to psychedelics. (laughs) 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 He's already apparently Uh, on a cocktail of painkillers. This has been reported in The Guardian about how he takes like five before every game. And we, I mean, I don't know what British painkillers are. Yeah. Like maybe, but if I were him, I would just be like, let's, 
let's do shrooms right now. Like, <laughs> right. I, need to, I need to alter this reality <laughs> tremendously. But I mean, like it's it is. I mean, you know about this, Ryan. If you made a decision, if you mess up like that, and then you try to, I mean, like the second the second goal uh, where he just misjudged the ball with uh, Harry Kane. I mean, like he was just trying to go and win it. So it was just kind of like I'm going to cheat up on this ball and I'm going to make an amazing play so I can get back on track. And then he messes that up too. Then you're just. They said it during the game that he was in the twilight zone. That's exactly what it's like because it's just like everything I do is wrong. And it's you – the entire mental aspect of the game hinges on being able to do the small things correctly. Yeah, it's – it's. I mean also I think it's really interesting to see how – I mean there's a – a bunch of stuff this week about how hard, um, how poorly Bonucci is playing at Milan, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that they had started out at a back four after he had played in the one of the great back three defensive yeah. lines of the century, probably with um, with Chiellini, Juventus, and uh, you know now he was playing a back four with players who were not as good as him, but also like. Milan kind of bought a few guys and now are kind of trying to fit some some square pegs into round holes. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Everton of Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <it's basically, laughs> uh, but the idea basically being that a center half or center back is as good as his partner, you know, and that yeah. their understanding and um I I am struggling to recall uh moments when I was had confidence in Dejan Lovren, <laughs> but I know that there were times and part of it was playing with Sacco, I think, because and correct me if I'm wrong. It's wasn't, crazy to. But think wasn't Sacco the aggressor, and Lovren was like, "My job is just to sweep up, right?" Yeah. yeah. And so Sacco would go make the like, "I'm going to go for this ball," but I know that Lovren's got my back, and I don't know what's wrong with Mata and Lovren, or whether they're both hurt, or whether Mata's just not fast enough to to recover when Lovren makes a mistake, or whether I, I have no idea. But I think a lot of it could be. Down to the partnership. Well, I mean, like he hasn't and been, the drugs, yeah, <laughs> the drugs exactly. But in that Guardian report, he said that in addition to taking five painkillers before every game just to be able to get through to full time, he also hadn't been training. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have, if you're not training together, then you don't have that understanding, do you? Well, and it's not like <clears throat> it's not like Liverpool is playing like this, like easy, you know, just drop back and defend system. It seems yeah. like a pretty complicated thing to are, deal are with. Are you guys on his management team or something? <laughs> I'm trying to come up with some reasons why. Well, he, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When Liverpool signed Dan Lovren, everyone was like, "This is the next Jamie Carragher. This guy is." They've said elite. that about every single fucking guy we've signed. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like he he has been good at to- in the past, um, and now he's. It's just a complete is a complete liability. Just incoherent. What well, can I say? What I would do if I were him? Yeah. If he, if if he were to somehow resurrect his Liverpool career and somehow score a huge goal, uh, did you guys see what the Southampton Sofian Buffal did after he scored uh, over the weekend? He basically he had this long mazy run and had an amazing individual effort and scored. And he hasn't been playing that much this season, so he literally ran up to his manager's face and screamed at him. It was like <laughs> kind of like the Kirk Cousins, That's "How the, you uh, like me you now?" Like that. You like that? It's uh, Clint Mathis did that yeah. in Germany. He yeah. like yeah. wasn't playing. He came on and scored and went over to the manager and tapped his wrist like he was wearing a watch. That was that was <laughs> hardcore. Like Lovren that. needs to do that to Jurgen Klopp because Klopp didn't even give him like the pat on the butt or the high five coming off the pitch. It was a little. I'm not. You know. I think that was a little extra on Klopp's part. 
Well, I mean, then after the game, he was just like, I could have done better if I was out there myself. Yeah. And I don't know That's if y'all tough. watched, I think it was, maybe it was last, I want to say it was, maybe it was two summers ago when they were on their like preseason tour and they were training at like at USC mm-hmm. and he was playing. He couldn't have. I'm just, I'm just saying, look up that footage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I would have, the moment I saw my head on the, the Subboard. I would have taken off my cleats and just left them on the field and walked back to where I lived and never played soccer again. <laughs> um, the sad walking away music for the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, players. exactly. No shoes and just walk until you can't walk anymore. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back for some talk of the managerial madness that's infecting the Premier League right now. Uh, okay, I don't want to say too much, but um, if I'm in the involved in this situation on the pitch and it's um, Harry cannot get the ball so at the end we, 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 be, we have kind of everybody's there but then make a step back and then they can chip the ball and behind our line that makes absolutely no sense all right welcome back uh we now wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the crushing anxiety that seems to be pressing down on a lot of the top managers in the premier league whether it's Jurgen Klopp subbing out one of his center backs 30 minutes into a game, whether it's Jose Mourinho angling for a new job um, or admitting that Huddersfield are better than Manchester United um, or Antonio Conte just seemingly on the verge. Yeah, Yeah. trying to get fired on the verge of uh, a breaking point at all times. Yeah. Uh, I blame Pep. I blame Pep. I think that uh, this was something that these guys maybe weren't Maybe they thought might happen, but we're not prepared for it in reality. I don't know if any of us are really prepared for it in reality because most of what we were talking about in the beginning of the season was how exciting this six, seven-team race for four spots and a five-team race for the title mm. was going to be. Um, and it turns out that's not true. It turns out that I, no matter what happens to Man City in the winter, it's going to be very hard for me to feel like they are going to like lose any ground in the title race. And they are absolutely destroying teams so when you are faced with that and then you look at your very expensive football team and you lose to Huddersfield or you look at your very expensive football team or very well-tuned football team apparently and they get smashed by Tottenham it starts to get it starts to get to you and I think a lot of these guys um, are used to being the best they think in their mind they're just like I win titles that's what I do or Mm -hmm. I compete for titles very closely Klopp I think likes the underdog role a little bit more, but yeah. certainly for Mourinho and Conte, I think that they are alphas. And the idea that um, they can spend money and they can go from a back three to a back four and switch up their lineups and complain about fixture pileups and injuries. training regimens and injuries and directors of football or vice presidents of teams not buying who they want to buy. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think they're being faced with like, at least they're in terms of in speaking in the realm of the season, they're being faced with their own extinction. You know what I mean? Because the dinosaurs are dying and this this team, like this Man City team, is just I think it, it poses like a very existential question to these guys. So what we're talking about essentially, I, I mean, I want to hear what you guys think about this and whether I'm I'm reading too much into it, is that I I have no reason I don't have no idea why Mourinho would complain. Aside from the fact that like he likes to generate a lot of activity around his own narrative like a lot of a lot of a lot of attention to his own narrative what he did with basically going out and saying i'm not going to end my career at manchester united then there's the reports that he wants 
Uh, he's already making fifteen million a year. I think he wants a raise. Uh, at the end, and he's and he's had a three-year deal, but he wants a raise. He had started this Manchester United gig, being like, "This is where I want to be. I want to do like a Ferguson. I want to be here for a long time." Mm-hmm. Now is already talking about how he won't end his career there. How uh, his son is a Paris Saint Germain. German fan, and I don't think this is a negotiating tactic because part of what happened last season was Mourinho never fully moved in to Manchester. He was living in a hotel. Yeah. He was miserable. It's apparently a big strain on his family that they haven't moved to, to Manchester. Mm-hmm. His kid's a teenager, and now apparently is in love with PSG. And I was just watching him on the sideline against Huddersfield, and he looked miserable. He looked miserable yeah, standing looked, in, a, in, in the rain in Huddersfield with a raincoat on, and then he goes out and he just drags his players after the game which is used to be a no-no. Like, as recently as 10 years ago, you were supposed to do the Harry Redknapp thing where, like, your players were garbage and you'd be like, well, the ref had a, had a screamer today. Like, yeah. the ref yeah. had an absolute nightmare today. Yeah. And then and he's going out and, like, calling out dudes by name and being like, well, I don't, even, I don't even blame this guy because he at least tried. Like, the other guys didn't try. And with Klopp, I just think it's just, for lack of a better phrase, like, suicide by repetition. Like, at this point, and a lot of Liverpool fans are calling for it, it's just like, just play Joe Gomez. Like, just play Trent Alexander. You're not winning these games. You're actually, you know what I mean? Like, these guys are costing you points. You might as well try something new. And um, and with Conte, I think Conte wants to go back to Italy. Yeah, I think it's, I think the Man City point is a good one, especially because that team is only going to get better, basically, yeah, yeah. going despite... forward ev- or, or even going forward this season. Um, and I think, like, the vibe around Manchester United is pretty negative right now. And they've, but why? They've won six games, drawn two, and lost one game, and they've, they have an injury crisis. Like, this team is fine in, like, almost every way, yet it's like the sky is falling, and Mourinho isn't really doing anything to abate that narrative, which seems really weird to and me. And this is a strange tone to set going into Swansea today in the Cup. Yep. But Tottenham. Spurs, Benfica, uh, Chelsea, and Rafa. Yeah. That's yeah. not... It's not th- easy. That's not easy, man. No. I mean, but also... You really <laughs> want your players being like, fuck you, dog. Yeah. Before you go play these games? I mean... <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, I mean... The issue with the, the, the I think the the reason that the vibe is so negative around there is just the fact that his his style of coaching is outmoded. I mean, like for for a lack of better, like for lack of a better way to put it, yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, like by my count, Manchester City has scored a thousand goals this season. <laughs> They've scored ten today already. Like, there's no and and they're doing it against everybody. Nobody is safe. Yeah, and nobody. Yeah. You cannot park the bus. Exactly. So that means that you can't. You also can't just, you know, list your your way through a game against Huddersfield the same way that you can't just sit back and hope that the game comes to you against Liverpool. Yeah. Like this is that's not the way that you're gonna. If you want to be a legit title challenger. Yeah. You, you got to switch it up. But doesn't doesn't City's dominance in some way give these other managers a bit of a pass? Uh, no, because I think that all of these guys think of themselves as big dogs. You know what I mean? Like, Mourinho's never going to be like, I'm doing what I can with what I've got. You know, like, that's not, that's not, I think Wenger's like that in in a way that's almost like, he's pretty pragmatic, you know, and I think that there's, there's a degree to which, you know, for as much trouble as he's gotten from the fan base and as, as much hand wringing has gone on, I don't think Wenger is ever like, we're going to go out and, and, 
and just and do our dick best. on this league. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that Mourinho expects his team to be competitive. What I what, one thing that's really bothering me in a weird way, not not like in a how dare these guys, but one thing I cannot put my finger on. And Donnie, like, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but like eight, eight, seven, eight years ago, did we hear this much about like? fixture pileup and how that was like so frustrating for managers because what like do you not want to be in the Champions League they they have played the Champions League on Tuesdays and Wednesdays for the, for as long as I can remember it's not a surprise they see the schedules I, yeah. I understand that like oh I don't want to play on Christmas Eve or whatever I mean that that stuff's fine games get switched around times get switched for television I understand it's annoying but like then put out a crap team in the League Cup and go out of it. Like, I don't understand. These guys try to, like, work so hard to get into the Champions League. Conte is, like, losing his mind because they're in the Champions League. They you managed no Juventus. Have, what are you talking have, about? <laughs> Chelsea has no depth, though, unfortunately, or at least in the forwards. So. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a little – it's something that they should all know going into the season, how many competitions they've qualified for and prepare accordingly. But It just seems like Conte – I mean, Conte seems like – I don't know whether he thought he was going to have more control. I mean, this is the Chelsea manager problem over and over again, but I don't know whether he thought he was going to have more control over the personnel there. He obviously didn't get some of the guys that he wanted. They they completely screwed up the forward situation. Yeah, is um, great, but there's no backup, really. And even when he does have a backup, like against Man City, he brought up Willian and didn't play yeah. with a striker. So that's that is what it is. But he seems like he doesn't want to be here. And then, it's, it, I, I, you know, your note about Mourinho is interesting because his flirtation with PSG, you don't have to play Huddersfield against, you know, you, no, there is no Huddersfield in France. Like, yeah. there's no, you can really, like, coast through your league season. And, yeah. and that now with this narrative that PSG are, like, all these guys are selfish and, and like, not taking the league seriously— it would be like ju- like Mourinho would do just enough to get them to like walk the league and probably be serious champions. I can't teams. wait to see him turn Mbappe into like a defensive winger. It's gonna be <laughs> yeah. dope. The Eto Inter Milan era of Mbappe. <laughs> I, well, I think part of like all of this stuff. I I think the amount of games that players have to play, like you just see it. Guys are getting hurt all the time. It's a lot and just not healthy but it's also the reality of the situation and you know it coming in but I think that sort of makes it it makes it hard to build a team I think in a lot of ways and build, build depth I think because you I think a lot of I think we saw with Conte we saw with Klopp it's like Klopp wanted who he wanted and if he didn't get them then that's they, he just rolled the dice with who, he, with who he had and Conte sort of the same exact thing happened with him I think yeah. uh, the players that he didn't want to use the young guys uh, at Chelsea um, he wanted a higher class of player and like that's just like not how this works you can't you're not going to get Chelsea isn't actually Manchester City you know what I mean they're, they're not they can't compete at that level and they're not going to get this sort of guy that would be starting for Liverpool and use him as your 18th player. That's just not not how this works. And I think that like with Klopp and with Conte and even with Mourinho to an extent, it's like they have this way of how they envision things working in an ideal world and they're going to keep operating like that even though they're not in a fucking ideal world. Right. Like yeah. the options they have aren't, they don't, Klopp can't, doesn't have Sergio Ramos. So don't make Lovren try to play like Sergio Ramos. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. 
Um, I mean, there's even like a level. I, I this is an unfair comparison, but as Yaya Torre sort of has deteriorated, or at least not been able to be an every game player uh-huh. and be the fulcrum of that Man City team. You could make the argument that the one thing that Manchester City was sort of missing going into this season was a string puller in midfield. Mm-hmm. They had Fernandinho to, to like back everything up and and kind of and clean up. But did they have somebody who could connect the ball moving out of defense and into the forward line? And he just took Kevin De Bruyne, turned him into the the best creative midfielder, deep line midfielder in the world. Yeah, and yeah. yes, you have somebody who is basically psychic on the ball. That's helps. <laughs> yeah. But when I, I I always like it when a when a manager takes a chance like that. I even like it when I you know uh, y- you could even say that that's the reverse of you know Wenger does does that sometimes where he'll, I, we always make fun of him because we're like how are you putting this incredibly good player like just in foisting him off in the left wing where he doesn't belong? But like he wants his best players on the field and he's going to try and figure out a way to do that. I don't necessarily agree with how he does it, but sometimes like what you're saying with this regimented rigidity of the way these guys are like, nope, this is how it's going to happen and if I didn't if I don't have somebody to play in center midfield, that's my board's fault. Yeah. That's that's not really I think that doesn't work that way. Yeah, but I, but I think it's also sort of a there's a difference between like having depth and knowing how to use your depth. Like Sergio Aguero when he's been healthy has maybe been the best player in the league this year. And he gets hurt, and Manchester City is totally fine. And that I will, it'll be interesting to see what happens if Fernandinho gets red carded mm-hmm. or gets hurt because he's sort yeah. of the one guy playing defensive mid that they don't have a backup for, really. But like otherwise, Manchester City have had injury issues and suspension issues, and they've been totally fine. And part of that is because they can spend so much money, but part of it is because Guardiola isn't putting himself in a situation where Manchester United loses Pogba. And then, like, their entire attack sort of craters. Fizzles. Yeah. Herrera is good. He's a good soccer player, but he's he, great. asking he's, him to be <laughs> just like putting him in and expecting him to fill the Pogba void is not how exactly. it works. And exactly. it's the same thing with Liverpool and all of these guys that are just being put into these impossible positions. And Chelsea has no plan for when Murata gets hurt. I mean, know? like, it was last season that Mourinho didn't really know how to use his subs. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that you have to relearn that again this season. Like, yeah. just, I mean, like, it, like we just, you just said it. I mean, Herrera, Pogba for Herrera is not a one to one change. Yeah, and and it's like, it how can be. you not understand that? Can yeah. I ask you guys a question? I'm curious because the one manager at the top that you haven't mentioned is Pochettino. Pochettino. Yeah, and and uh, it's interesting because. Uh, you, you talk about the negative clouds around Klopp, Mourinho, Conte, etc. Uh, the press around Spurs right now is relentlessly positive, probably more so than it's been in the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, he's definitely the manager du jour, can do no wrong. I'm kind of like reading all of these accolades and, and praise of him and mentally, cl- I mean, I'm also an Arsenal fan, but I'm like mentally clipping all of these uh, accolades and stuff because... These are the same types of stuff that was written about Conte and Klopp, you know, when they're in good form or when their teams are doing well. And I'm curious if you guys think, it, you know, if Pochettino can last as well, like he definitely being, has, I, he has to go through the group stage for one yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but, it's the thing. The bottom line about Pochettino is he hasn't won a single trophy of any kind. You yeah, know, as a, as a manager, so it's like this goodwill is going to last until. You well, know, like sure, but he's managed Espanyol and Tottenham. Yeah, you know? but I mean, like also the thing what we were just talking about with substitutions and being able to shuffle your squad around and change shape and personnel. 
in the game against the 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 1-1 tie against Real Madrid over last week, he didn't have Deli Ali, he didn't have Ben Davies, he didn't have Danny Rose, and he just put Jan Vertonghen left back and brought on Victor Wanyama and Fernando Llorente and managed yeah. to squeeze a point out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And against Liverpool, Dyer had the flu and Harry Winks comes in and Tottenham plays like a midfield of Deli Ali, Erickson and Harry Winks. And when you, when they're playing that those players, they're not asking Harry Winks to be Victor Wanyama. They're not asking Erickson to be Moussa Dembele. They're pl- playing a different way. And I think that's that's part of why Tottenham Tottenham doesn't necessarily have this amaz- amazing depth of players that Liverpool doesn't have or Chelsea doesn't have, but they have a depth of styles that yeah. they play that I think speaks pretty well to Pochettino. He doesn't seem like wedded to a a system, which is yeah seems important. Um, we'll leave you guys on that note. Um, we'll be back next week to discuss the Manchester United Tottenham game. Uh, Micah might never speak to us again after that, so we might have might have a new podcast partner. Um, but until then, for Chris, Donnie, and Micah, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again next week. Bye.